Oh my goodness. I don't know how to start. It feels like it's been forever and it really hasn't, I promise. I look back when I started making notes, I look back at my notes from the last sermon and it really hasn't been that long. Um, but it feels like I, I don't know what I'm doing up here. Um, I'm excited to be up here and I'm excited for what's in front of us this morning. Um, I, I got excited a, a few weeks ago when Kevin called me and said, hey, Ephesians 5.22 is coming up. And I, yeah, I know, trust me, I know. I've been watching it coming like an oncoming train. I've been seeing it coming. And he said, you know, I, I, if you'd like to, you, you're more than welcome to. This kind of seems to be where your ministry is is pulled to and has been for years. If you'd like to cover this, I'd be happy um, for you to do that. And, and I, I could not get yes, sir, out of my mouth fast enough. I want to do this. Um, I will preface this. A lot of you have sat in front of me. Um, on my couch or in my garage with me and my spouse for uh, marriage counseling of some type. And you're going to hear some things this morning that you heard then. That's, that's, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> I'm not bringing out your particular situation. I'm just doing what I do. And the message that I share with people inside my home on those occasions is the same message that you're going to hear. The only thing different is, is we're going to break it down, and this is going to take a few weeks. Um, we're going to break it down into individuals and individual roles. We're still talking about walking worthy of our call, and this will be walking worthy of your call in marriage, and we'll have walking worthy of your call as a parent. We'll have walking worthy of your call as a child walking worthy of your, of your call as a servant and as a boss. <laughs> and we're going to do marriage in two groups. We're going to do husbands and wives. Now that's going to be difficult, and I'll show you why here in a little bit, and I'm going to touch just enough of the husbands this week to keep the wives from being mad at me for a week. I want you to keep in mind that everything I'm telling you this morning comes from Scripture. I didn't make it up. I didn't write it. It's not my idea. Kevin said last week, the definition of a fool is to one who denies God, His ways, and His will. Right? If We'll get there in a minute. I'm telling you I'm out of practice. Y'all bear with me. Let's pray. Father and our God, we do humble ourselves before you to say thank you for another day. Thank you for this opportunity. I thank you, Father, for the, the, the attentive hear, ears this morning. I pray, Father, that everyone that has ears will hear this morning. I pray, Father, that everyone in attendance would open their heart to your word and your ideas and your plans and not mine. I pray, Father, that you would bind up my opinions and only yours would be made known through me. Father, I thank you for this opportunity and I thank you, Father, that we can do this without fear for our lives. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through 24. Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through 24. Wives, 
Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And you can be seated. Now, it would be really easy, really easy to stop right there with what we read and go, <laughs> come on, women, do you fart, submit. But what that would be called is taking things out of context. And it happens, and it happens a lot, and it happens a lot on this subject. There are men today in their household that point to this scripture when they tell their wife to shut up. That's the truth. It happens. It happens. It'd be real easy for us to stop where I read and just concentrate on all, on all that he just said because it says what it says. Right? I didn't add nothing to that. I didn't take nothing from that. That's what it says. But we've got to keep everything in context, and we're going to do that this morning, I promise you. We're going to put it all together as a big old puzzle piece, and we're going to start with going back one verse to verse 21. And, and, we're, and this is actually picking up in the middle of something, but I'll, I'll fill it in enough that I, I promise you. I just want you to see something right here in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, this is at the tail end of what Kevin preached last week, and, and, and he's talking about redeeming the time and taking advantage of, of what we've got now and not being foolish, because what part in heaven do fools have? According to Scripture, no inheritance, right? So we're talking about redeeming the time, and we're talking about living worthy of the call that has been placed on our lives. And we come to this verse 21, and it says, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. All right, he, he throws that out as a general statement, as a general idea for every one of us to take in, that we should be submissive as individuals. Then he gives us a list following that of different individuals that are to be specifically submissive in specific situations. Wives, there will be a part in there for husbands, parents, children, uh, bosses, we'll call it bosses and workers for the time being. Masters and bond servants is what he calls it. It's important that as we move forward through this, that you keep in mind all the things that Kevin has preached since he's been in the book of Ephesians and in this series about walking worthy of your call. It's very important. And it's important because of verse 21. It says, in reverence for Christ. You're not doing this to please somebody else. You're not doing this because I think it's the right thing. You're not doing this because it'll make your spouse happy. You're not doing this because it'll make your boss happy or your parents happy. You're doing this out of reverence for Christ. That, that's the whole thing about being submissive is it's what God desires. 
And if you can wrap your mind and get yourself to a place that I'm tired of being foolish, however long it's been, whether we're talking about a marriage or we're talking about a parent-child relationship or we're talking about a workplace relationship, it's enough. It's enough. You've went far enough. Stop living foolishly. And start living a godly life and start pursuing a godly life and start pursuing holiness and start walking worthy of your call. Whether we're talking about home, church, workplace, it doesn't matter. You're called to walk worthy wherever you are. And these are some examples, specific examples that Paul gives. So, the first group asked to submit is the wives. Now, there's a bunch of things to point out in this and a lot of things to get from this. Please stay with me. Please, please stay focused on this this morning. And again, keep your context in mind because it's, it's difficult to preach just this part. It is because it doesn't seem fair. <laughs> but if you'll put it in context and you put it all together as, and look at the whole puzzle, the whole picture, then it makes a whole lot of sense. Now, we're going to go through this as, as best as I know how and, and not make anybody mad. I'm going to tell you a story about an individual that I'm, I'm, I'm walking on thin ice to tell it, but I've got to tell it. Back a long time ago, I didn't have a full grasp on premarital counseling yet. I didn't, I didn't fully understand what my responsibilities was to that couple. And I guess you just learn as you go. And this is an example of that. And I had this couple that wanted to get married, and I told them, you know, we'd do some premarital counseling, and we got together a time or two and talked about some things and discussed some things. And, and the big day came, and everybody's fired up and excited. And this is a, some people that are a little bit older. They're not young folks, not, not teenagers or 20-somethings. Or, or they're, they're older folks, got a lot of experience in life. And... It came time for the service and the I do's. Do you take this man and promise to as long as you both shall live? And he said, I do. I moved to her. And I went through the list and I said, and promise to obey. And her eyes, she pulled her eyes up at me and they were this big around. And I thought, he ain't going to say I do. And we stood there, and, we, and it felt like in my world, 10 minutes. It really wasn't, but it felt, I mean, I, I could feel the sweat pouring up on me, and, running, and I'm thinking, she's not going to say I do. What am I going to do? She's not going to say, she's not going to agree to this because I asked her to obey. Well, she did say I do, but I promise you, that's the fastest counseling I ever done after a, service a wedding I mean they ain't been married 10 whole minutes and me and hers in a room and I'm explaining myself because she was a, a woman an, an individual that had been taught to be strong and self-supportive and all those things and ain't nobody no better than you and ain't no man gonna tell you what to do and then I come up here and ask her to be submissive so I took her to the scripture and showed her to it so just so you know, from that day forward, every couple I've done premarital counseling, we cover this <laughs> thoroughly. 
for some reason, it has become offensive for a woman to be a woman. If you look at what God originally intended for the woman and the wife, this won't offend you. It'll make you proud to be what God has called you to be. Listen, y'all, we live in a culture where some little girls don't even know they're little girls. Some little boys don't even know they've not been told that they're a little boy because it might hurt their feelings. Listen, you ain't got to tell them. It's a simple test. It's either there or it ain't. (laughs) And there ain't no decision to be made after that discovery has been made. Right? I mean, that's the way it, but we're not in that society anymore, and I'll be frowned upon for making a statement like that. (gasps) I can't believe you'd say such a thing. Well, listen, let's go back to original design, and let's see what was created to start with and the purpose of all of that. All of this is put in motion for a reason. There's a reason that women are told to be submissive, not to men. Look at this very closely. Submit to your own husband. Right? Submit to your own husband. This doesn't tell women everywhere to just submit to men. It tells wives to submit to their husband in their relationship. Right? That's a big difference, y'all. Now, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm going I'm to stick to my notes because I'm getting out of, I'm finna get in trouble. I'm going to teach you and say something this morning that you may have heard before, but I, I want to I really drive it home. And it's a statement that says, equal, but not the same. Men and women are equal, but not the same. The role of a woman and the role of a man are two different roles. The role of a husband and the role of a wife are two completely, they're equally important, but they're not the same. If I took the strongest man in the world and put him in a strength competition with the strongest woman in the world, who wins? Every time, guys. Don't be ashamed to say it. She ain't going to slap you right here in front of everybody. The man's going to win. It's original design. Now, does that mean that there aren't some women who are stronger than some men? Absolutely not. There's plenty of women here stronger than me right now. I, I... There are specifics to women's design and specifics to man's design. And we have destroyed even the simplest of those designs to the point that you have to be careful which door you're going in if you need to use the restroom in some places. Now they have three, men, women, and confused. (laughs) Now it won't say confused on the door, but that's what it is. It's the simplest of design, y'all. And we're going to go back. Go with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. I want to stop just for a moment. I want to stop just for a moment. Take a little time to recognize some folks. There's a couple of different people that run our multimedia. Um, Most of the time it's either Riley or it is uh, Nathan. And sitting down here with Kevin up here and looking at how quick that Kevin will say, well, I didn't give this to them. Go to, and you look up and it's there, and I'm going, you don't have to give it to them. They're good. 
They know what they're doing, and, and the job that they do is amazing, and it makes it really, really convenient for myself, Kevin, and all of you. This stuff isn't necessary. It don't have to be here. If it goes out right now, we're going to continue with what we're doing without it. But, man, to have it is real convenient and really, really nice. So thank you, Riley. Thank you, Nathan. And then there's another guy that sits on the other side of that room up there. His, his name is Mark something. I don't, I don't know. I can't remember. No, I'm just kidding. It's not Mark something. It's Leanne's husband, Mark Long, and he takes care of our, our audio and all. Man, those guys do a great job. So if y'all see one of them, go ahead. Y'all can give them a hand. I'm okay with that. <clears throat> because I sit down there and think of these things and recognize these things, and then when I get up here, it just comes out when it comes out. And when I made that, said that, and it, I mean, before I found it in my Bible, it's up there. It's because they're on top of things. So uh, if you see one of those gentlemen, let them know that you appreciate what they're doing. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Man, that's a great big bold statement that we all need to know exists. First of all, this is the first time we say God, see God say in all of creation that something is not good. The first time. And what he recognized was is it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. If you continue reading, there's a process that takes place where God takes Adam and parades all the animals in front of him and he names them. Has anybody ever named something? It's a little bit of a process sometimes. It's a little bit of a getting to know what you're naming, right? It's not something you just do. As a matter of fact, it's so important at my house that my daughter's not allowed to name any animal ever at my house <laughs> because she doesn't understand it requires thought. We had a goldfish named Silverstone. <laughs> just saying, that was the end of the line for me. You ain't naming nothing else, never. If you take it serious and you do it right, as I would presume that Adam did, it takes a little bit of time to name everything. And I want you to think of something you may have never thought about. This isn't a single of every animal. Right? It's a pair. It's the goose and the gander. It's the buck and the doe, right? It's the genie and the drake, right? It's all the animals coming by. It's the bull and the cow, right? It's... it's so Adam stands here, a single man, naming pairs of animals. And I could imagine that something stirs inside of Adam as he watches this process take place. And he goes, you know what? I want a mate. <laughs> and God wanted him to have that desire. That's why he done it in this order. He already said it ain't good that man should be alone. Now name the animals. Why now? Just make me one. He wanted him to have that desire, right? He wanted him to see the need for that mate and for that helper. And it had to be something stirred inside of Adam as he stood and named all the animals as they come to him in pairs. Now, some people say comedy and, and church don't go together. I beg to differ. I think we got a God with a sense of humor, right? I know that because I look out across the crowd this morning. <laughs> Don't say that, because the ones that didn't laugh, it's them. <laughs> but I also look at the animal kingdom. 
Y'all ever took a look at the animal kingdom? Y'all ever took a real close look at a giraffe? Do y'all know what animal is the only animal born physically comes out with horns? Good, good trivia for y'all to figure it. No, it's the giraffe. <laughs> it's the giraffe. Look at that thing. It starts out with little old horns on its head. Its neck's this long, its legs this long, it's got this much body in his butt. And poor Adam had to name that thing. <laughs> Anybody ever heard of a duck-billed platypus? <laughs> I promise you, God got to the end and said, what's all these scrap pieces? <laughs> 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 and then poor Adam had to stand up there and name that thing, right? <laughs> and not one, but two of them. But you would think that'd be a one-of-a-kind, but it wasn't. It's two of them. And Adam has to intimately get to know and name these pairs of animals. And this process stirs something inside of him. And by the time the process is over, Adam is desirous because it says, look at, look at what it says, keep on going with me. It says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the heavens, and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So to this point, nothing in creation was fit to be considered Adam's helper or Adam's mate. Nothing in creation. Take a little time and let that sink in. If you ever doubt the, the importance of the role of the woman and the wife, read that and meditate on it. Everything was created to this point except woman, and Adam had an option of all of it, and nothing was comparable to him in all of creation. So then... The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And look at his response. Remember, he's looked at every living thing. Every living creature has been paraded in front of him, and he has named it. He has spent time with it, and he has looked at them as pairs, and this desire is inside of him, and it's raging, and he can't find nothing comparable to him. He can't find a mate. He can't find a helper. Now he goes to sleep. God pulls out a rib, creates woman, and look at his response. Then the man said, this is at last. Bone of my bone, finally, finally a helper for me, finally something comparable to me, finally a mate for me. I've seen the bull and the cow. I've seen the Jenny and the Drake. I've seen the goose and the gander. I, I wanted that, and finally, this is bone of my bones. This is flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. She is a part of me. Look at the rest of that. Therefore, because of all of this and because you understand this and because it is written and because you see it and because if you have ears, you've heard it. Therefore, look, there, because of all of this, therefore, a man, whew, 
At this, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is the step of marriage that gets left out. We have a lot of individuals on a joint journey. We have few people that understand that as a married couple, you are one flesh. Therefore, a man shall leave, leave his mama and daddy. Leave his mama and daddy. And these two shall become one flesh. Now, I can see where this can be a problem. For 21 years, Fagan and Francis King did all they could do to raise me the what they thought was the right way. At that point in my life, everything I knew about finances, everything I knew about cooking, fixing, communicating, talking to people, listening, everything that was me, I learned for 21 years from Fagan and Francis. For 20 years, Jane and Devon poured everything they could pour into Amanda. How to handle money, how to act and behave, what it, what it meant to be proper, all the things that they thought that she would benefit from as an adult, they poured into her for 20 years. I don't know if y'all know it or not. Y'all may have not have caught on to it yet. But what Fagan and Francis think is the right way and what Devon and Jane think is the right way is two different things. So we have Nick, who's been doing it this way for 21 years. We have Amanda, who's been doing it this way for 20 years. Two shall become one. I can't imagine where friction comes from in a marriage, can you? Right? You see it? All right, so now we've got to decide what we're going to do with this friction because this, what I've just told you is the way it is. According to Scripture and according to all that we know that is possible, it is very likely that when a man and a woman come together as a husband and a wife, that they have been raised by two completely different sets of parents and their everything is different. And we put them together and say, now two shall become one. And there's friction. That friction is going to be there. We've got to find out what to do with it. Well, I'm going to tell you, it's been, it's been long enough, however long it's been for you to look at God's ways about marriage and say, I don't want that, as long as, however long it's been for you as a wife to look at God's ways and be foolish in your mind and say, I don't want that, I've got a better plan, however long that's been, that's enough. That's enough, stop. Stop, unless you and me take Scripture and figure out what God says your role is as a woman and as a wife, and let's apply that to you and see if things don't get a little better because I'm telling you the friction's going to be there. There's no avoiding it. But look, woman was created to be a helper to man. That doesn't mean you're less important. Equal, not the same. Your role as a woman is not the same as my role as a man. Your role, her role as a wife is not the same as my role as the husband. It's not the same role. And they should not be confused in any way. They can't be. 
Because see how we got to where we are today as a society, as a whole, is we are foolish. We look at God and say, we don't want your ways. We don't care what you think. We've got a better idea. Let me show you. That's how we got to where, that's why people have to have three bathrooms in their stores today. That's why. Because if we'd have stuck to what God said, there ain't no confusion there. Right? I mean, it's pretty obvious to me who Adam is. Look at this. Who did he create for him to have a helper? Well, let's define that. Number one, it was a woman. Her name is is Eve, not Steve. So I know that God intends for marriage to be one man and one woman. You know why I can say one man and one woman? There ain't two Eves. He only gave him one. Look at how ecstatic Adam was to have that one. Little did, no, I'm just kidding. Now I'm going to get me in trouble. We can define marriage just based on that. All right, so if we agree to that and we agree that this is God's idea of marriage and that's what it's supposed to look like, how does it get to where it is today? By us looking at God and saying, we don't want your ways, we don't like your idea, we got our own, let us show you what we can do. And that's what you have in our society today. Every politically correct show on TV has to include at least one couple that is either two men or two women. We got there, guys. We got there, ladies, by being foolish as a whole, as a society, by looking at God and saying, we don't want your ways. We want our way. Let us show you what we can do. And that's what we have. So the only way to correct that ship, it's a big ship. It's going the wrong direction. And the only way to correct it is to start to turn the wheel. When Montana first got to my house, she said, you know what, we've seen the thing. What did that thing say, Amanda? If you are the child, no, if you live in the house with a pastor, you have the right to remain silent because everything you say and everything you do will be a sermon illustration. I'm sorry, but it is. I bought Montana about two years ago for Christmas. We bought, I didn't do anything, a, a golf cart. So she could kind of develop some motor skills that she didn't have. On our first venture, I sat in the passenger seat with all my prayer life perfectly in place. (laughs) And I said, let's strike out. Let's go. It's all yours. Flip that switch, turn that key, hit that pedal, goes that pedal over there, stop. And I thought that was enough instruction, y'all. We struck out, and we're coming upon this big old Bradford pair. Y'all ever been around a Bradford pair, how all the limbs hang down? And it ain't clearance to walk under them, much less for the golf cart. And all I could see was I was fixing to be impaled by the limb off of this Bradford pear tree that we were slowly approaching. And I said, Montana, you must turn the wheel. I, you must turn. We, you got to slow down. Stop. Dude, what? And she was looking at where we were going. And as I told her what needed to happen, she went. And I said, sweetheart, there's more required than that. Stop this thing before you kill us all. At some point, you have to turn the wheel in order to change directions. Right? Y'all know that. Right? In order to change directions in this world, in this country, in our homes, in our, we, somebody's got to turn the wheel. You can't just look the right direction and expect it to happen. Ask Montana, that don't work. 
Somebody's got to turn the wheels. Somebody's got to be brave enough to stand up and say, God, I do what you do want what you want. I'm tired of living foolish, and it's been long enough. I do what you do want what you want for my marriage. I do want what you want for my household and for my church. But you can't just say it because that's the same as looking and thinking it's going to change. Somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to take hold of this and say, that's what I want, and that's the way it'll be at my house. It's not going to be easy. You've been doing it wrong too long. Go back over to Ephesians <clears throat> chapter 5, verse 23. This is where it gets hard if you don't read it all. For the husband is head of the wife, amen, let's all go home, right? Wrong. You're going to be in trouble, whoever said that. That's how a lot of people like it, though. That's how it's taught, and sometimes this is part of the reason why women don't want to be who women are supposed to be is because it's been misconstrued of who the man is. See, everything in Scripture is proportionate to something else. It works in conjunction with other things. And if all I ever talk about is the submissive, the need of a submissive wife, then we all leave out of here thinking the wife has no say and the only response she can have is to her husband and then he can talk to the rest of us because we don't hear it. And according to Scripture and everything we know, that's the way it's supposed to be. Well, that's not true. But see, what's happened is it's gotten out of proportion and I've gotten too heavy on submissiveness and I left off the fact that that husband is supposed to be a sacrificially loving his wife. And when it comes into the correct proportion, then it looks like this very well-oiled machine that doesn't have any flaws. And it becomes a picture of something that's very important. See, this stuff is here for a reason. Everything physical is a representation of something that exists spiritually. And when we get it out of proportion, out of context, out of rhythm, we get what we have today, which is just brokenness everywhere in every aspect of life. So in order to get back to that, let's find out exactly what he means by this woman being so submissive to her husband and see what it's supposed to look like and see if we can imitate that because it has a great purpose. It has a great purpose. For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is head of the church. And the church is His body. And He is Himself its Savior. Whew. Whew. I don't know about you, but with that picture in my head, it's a lot easier to see a submissive lady around when I think of a husband that loves and is to her what Christ is to this church. When, when did Christ love the church? When it, when it was praising Him and when it was loving Him? He always has, no matter what. Can you think of days in your life when you don't deserve the love of Christ? I can. I sure can. I can think of days in my life. But you know what? He don't stop loving me. He don't, he don't quit on me. As a matter of fact, according to the description that God loves with, 
He believes all things, hopes all things. He looks at me in my failure and says, I believe you are better than this. I, I believe you're going to recover from this. He looks at this and has hope in me. When, he, when you love the way God loves, th then, then you have hope in individuals that look hopeless. You, you believe. That doesn't mean that you have to be gullible. It doesn't mean you have to just lay back and believe everything they say and just take it for what it is. But it means that you can see that God can do anything. Anything. There's nothing in this world bigger than my God. Not narrow situation in this world bigger than my God. And when I love the way that He loves, then my wife doesn't have any problem being submissive. But now let me assure you of something. I'm not saying that if your husband don't love you, you don't have to be submissive. This scripture does not say that. Let's keep reading it and find out and make sure I didn't throw a little something extra in there. Uh, verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Don't, get un don't, don't misunderstand. I'm not standing up here telling you that if the wife don't do his part, you don't have to do, I mean, the husband don't do his part, you don't have to do yours. I'm not saying that. No, this scripture says, as a wife, if you want to be a God-pleasing wife, then you will be submissive in everything. But now, that's not the end of the story. That, that's, not, that's not the end of this, y'all. Because, see, this is where if I walk out now, all y'all's mad, or some of y'all's mad. And you don't never want to hear Brother Nick and Kevin has to come and say, listen, I'm sorry, but I can't let you back up there for a week or two. They're going to hang you, brother. I'm going to do my due diligence and stand in your place for a week or two and let everything get, if I stop right there. Because I've just said, regardless of what anybody else does, but here's why I say that. We started in verse 21, and why does it say you are being submissive? Out of, Reverence for, at what point do you get to stop being reverent for Christ? Never. So it doesn't matter. See, here's what i got to get couples to understand when they come to me and there's little things going on or there's great big things going on. You can't go and do the things that I'm going to ask you to do with expectations of any result out of the other party. You have to do it because it's what God's told you to do, and that's the only reward there is, is you went to bed with God happy with you. But let me assure you, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough because things are going to start to change. See, here's what God knows that you and I can't get our mind wrapped around. When we do it, what God says do, we can't lose. See, his plan is perfect. There's no flaw in it. And when we do what we're supposed to do, whether I'm talking to husbands or wives or parents or children or, or, or bond servants or masters, when I do my part, things start to change. How do you mean? What, what, if, what if I'm that wife that I'm the only one coming to church? I'm the only one pursuing God. I'm the only one. I, I mean, I know I shouldn't have got in this relationship, but I'm there now. What about me? Because he's not going to do what makes God happy with him because he don't care. Go to 1 Peter. Chapter 3, verse 1. 
Now, this is going to repeat some of what we've just been talking about just to also give you an idea that I didn't just pull up this random scripture out of Ephesians to have the opportunity to talk to you women this way this morning. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. There it is again, your own husband, not every husband, not, not, not man, not every man, your own husband. So that even if some do not obey the word, and he's talking about the men, he's talking about the husband. So even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Do you realize that being obedient to God in every avenue of your life may cause somebody else to desire Christ as their Savior too? Ain't that a neat thing that God put in place? Keep going. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart within the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Whew, I ain't going to touch that one today. Y'all mad enough where you at. I'm leaving that one alone. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husband as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now it'd take a little while to break all that down. But I, I'm, I'm just going to give you the layman's terms, niche, niche breakdown of this. If as a wife you find yourself in a place where your husband still wants to live foolish. You begin to do your part. You begin to be who God requires you to be. And that is a submissive wife. And you start to do it from your heart out of reverence for Christ. And there will be a change. If for some reason there's no change, that's not your goal anyway. Because to do this is pleasing to God. Regardless, he even says there at the end that some of this, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening, there are situations that being submissive to your husband will be frightening. But to be pleasing to God is the most important thing you can do. And he's broken down. I've heard... Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people tell me, I wish there were a book somewhere to tell me how to do marriage. And I go, there is. There is. It exists. And, and for the most part, I'm going to say you probably have a copy of it. It exists. Listen to me. Some of you are sitting in here going, well, I'm not a wife. I'm, I'm not, this ain't for me. Yeah, it is. You may be someday. I'm not, I'm not a hug. Well, you, you may be someday. This is important stuff to know and understand because what you're looking for in a mate is what God desires for you to have in a mate. And we're in a study right now, and uh, it's fixing to start it actually this Monday night. <clears throat> this guy gives an example of us looking at our wives as God's daughter, which makes me... God's son-in-law. Now he says this doesn't demean in any way the fact that you are God's child. 
That's not what he's trying to do. What he's trying to do is put it on a more personal level, your relationship. And he says, for those of you with daughters, how happy does it make you to know that your daughter is with somebody that takes care of her? How much do you desire that your daughter marry a man that takes care of her the way he's supposed to? Now, how much more does God desire that for his daughter? Now look at yourself as the son-in-law and ask this question, is my father-in-law happy with the way I treat my wife? And if the answer is no, it's been long enough. It's been long enough. God has a desire for this, y'all. And he even has written it out so that we can understand what it is he desires for us in these situations. Now, I don't want to, I'm not going to quit. I know I'm getting close on time, but I'm not going to quit right here because I'm going to go, we're going to just tickle the other side of this so that there's no question that I really don't hate women. <laughs> okay? So y'all don't have a week to boil at me and come back in in a non-listening mood the next time. Submit in everything to their husbands. And in verse 25, husbands... Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water in the word. Husbands, love your wife as Christ. The picture that your marriage is supposed to present, listen to me, your marriage physically represents a spiritual truth, and that is the relationship between Christ and his church. That's what your marriage represents. That's what your marriage is supposed to represent. That's the purpose of it. That's the calling that you have been called into. If you have received the calling and you are a Christian, this is what your marriage should look like. The relationship between Christ and the church. How is it possible that a woman can be submissive? Well, it's made a whole lot easier when a man sacrificially loves her more than he loves himself. When his first priority in his everything is his wife, she ain't got no problem being submissive because she knows he's willing to die for her. There's no way he's going to do something to harm her. You see, you see how it works? You, you see how everything ebbs and flows and everything runs like a well-oiled machine when everything works the way God originally intended it to work. Listen, y'all, Satan didn't jump out in the middle of the society and destroy society. Satan didn't jump into the middle of a church and destroy the church. No, he got into homes. He got into households. He got into individuals. And they went into society. And they went into the church. That's his plan. He can't come in here and take on all of us. Somebody in here is going to pray him out of here. Somebody in here is going to call out the name. But if he can get in your home where it's just you and yours, then he can send you into here. Then he can send you out there. If you have been called, if you're going to walk worthy of your call as a wife, you must be submissive. There are circumstances, if you got questions, I'll be more than happy to answer them with everything I got in me. I'll stay all day if I have to. 
because there are circumstances where things look differently. They're the same. The, the end result is the same. But getting there is a little bit different, and I understand that, and I don't have time to cover every one of them, so I'm not going to try to cover them. But I can tell you, if you've got a question that I didn't answer this morning, I'd be more than happy to, to spend all the time I have to spend to help you understand. But I, let me go ahead and tell you ahead of time. Ultimately, it's the same for everybody. The desire and, and the way to fulfill what God desires is for a wife to be submissive to her husband as the church is to Christ. And for Christ to be the head and Savior, right? The husband to be that as Christ is to the church. It, it's, it's, it's this big, well-old machine when it works the way it's supposed to. If you remove one element of that, that doesn't mean, see, what you got into is not a contract. A contract says... We all sign it, and if one person breaks one part of the contract, everybody else is released from that contract, right? That's how a contract works. A marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. And a covenant says, I'm going to do my part no matter what anybody else does. See, a covenant is what we're in with God. That's why he loves us when we're unlovable, because he's got a covenant with us, and a covenant says, I'm going to do my part regardless of what anybody else does. That's what your marriage is. And if you could see it as a covenant, if you could get your mind wrapped around the fact that you signed up for this and that you promised God, I'm going to love him, I'm going to love her, regardless of what I get in return. Are there circumstances? And are there? Yes, there are. There always is. Listen, it's like looking at do not murder. That's a, that's a law. It applies to everybody, right? Right? What, what about if somebody comes running in here and, and starts shooting everybody and I whip out and shoot them? Is murder still a sin? Sure it is. According to Scripture, murder is still a sin. But you know, sometimes God is heavy on the grace. Sometimes there's circumstances. Now, I'm not trying to give anybody in here an out to not do what the Bible says do. I'm just telling you that if you're one of those people that have, you feel like you have one of those circumstances, you come talk to me. Ultimately, is murder sin? Absolutely, every time. But there are circumstances. See, everything, everything is proportional. And the most important part is where your heart is. So as a wife this morning, that's what's important, is that your desire is to be pleasing to God. Now, Recognizing something wrong is like riding a golf cart and turning your head. You're not going to change direction. You've got to do something. You've got to apply it, right? And if we're going to get this thing turned around as a society, it starts with individuals. Now, the men ain't off the hook. They're coming. It's tough. I'm going to make some of them mad. Some of them's bigger than you ladies. I'm more feared of the men than I am the women. But I'm telling you, you got to hear it. Because however long it's been, it's enough. It's enough. Quit doing it your way and thinking it's better than God's way. Quit trying to add things and take things away and modify God's plan and say, look what a much better plan it is when you, it don't work that way. you got to take it on as God's plan and, and sell out to it. No plan B. I'm just going to be what God wants me to be, whether I'm a husband, a wife, a child, a parent, whatever. 
when your mindset gets there, we can move forward.